0: Thanks, Eric, very much. If you've got a Bible open, uh, it'd be lovely to, to keep it open there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and for the young folk or others with the listen-up sheets as well, uh, do have them at the ready to jot down anything um, that will be helpful. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Father in heaven, as we've considered already this morning, we, we long to, we want to grow up to be more like Jesus. We thank you that your word helps us do that. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that he is at work in our hearts doing what only he can do and shape us to be more like your son and our saviour. And we ask, Lord, that as we, as we get into your word now and as you work in our hearts, that we would leave here this morning a little bit more like Jesus than when we arrived. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if anyone has seen uh, this film before. The film Big, starring Tom Hanks, is a bit of a classic. For those of you who don't know the film, that the basic storyline is this 12-year-old boy, and he desperately wants to be an adult. He desperately wants to grow up. And one morning, he wakes up to find that that wish has come true. He's now living in the body of a 30-year-old adult. And so outwardly, he looks grown up. He now needs to shave. He needs to do all the things that... Uh, Adult grown men need to do. Yet inside, he's still an immature 12-year-old boy. Well, in many ways, that's what's happening spiritually in Corinth. We have a church that outwardly looks pretty sophisticated and grown up. It's a church that God has blessed greatly with numerous spiritual gifts back in chapter 1, verse 8. But inwardly, inwardly, this church is still in spiritual nappies. Have a look how Paul addresses them in chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. You see, the church in Corinth actually rated themselves pretty highly. They thought they were spiritually mature. They had probably given themselves a good 8 or 9 out of 10 uh, on the maturity scale. However, Paul's assessment of them is very different, isn't it? In verse 1. He considers them unspiritual, worldly, and immature. In fact, the Greek word for infant that you can see there in verse 1 is the word nepioi, which is where we get our English word nappy from. Point being, the church in Corinth are behaving like spiritual babies. Now, don't get me wrong, they're still Christians. You can see that, can't you, from the start of verse 1. He addresses them as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are Christian believers. They do have the Spirit of God living in them. They're just not behaving like it. And the metaphor continues. Look in verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You see, when someone who becomes... A Christian, when they begin that journey of faith, they need spiritual milk, just like the little baby. Because they're baby Christians, and they need spiritual milk to grow strong. But here's the issue in Corinth. Three and a half years on, they're still behaving like babies. They haven't grown in maturity at all. In fact, to use Paul's analogy in verse 2, they're still drinking bottled milk which as you can see from the picture on the screen, uh, is sort of funny in one sense, but it's also sort of sad when people fail to grow up. And that's what's happening here in Corinth. People are failing to grow up spiritually. You see, the church itself may have an an outward appearance of being sophisticated and spiritual. You might call it a cutting-edge church. Had all the new stuff going on, gifts of plenty, But in reality... They're anything but. These were milky Christians, not meaty, mature Christians. And you can see how that immaturity actually plays out, look, in verse 3. This is what Paul says, you are still worldly. You're living like the world. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Are you not behaving like the world around you in Corinth? You see, the church in Corinth may have considered themselves spiritual, but in the ways that they were relating to one another, the way that they were treating one another, they were no different to the world around them. Jealousy, quarreling, and pride. And as we've seen already, such spiritual immaturity was leading to division and disorder in God's church in Corinth. But of course, before we shake our collective heads at the church in Corinth before we jump in too quickly and judge them, we need to ask ourselves the same question that the church in Corinth should have been asking themselves when they received this letter from the Apostle Paul. And most importantly, probably this one, are we growing? We growing? We growing? Never mind the church in Corinth for a minute. Put the church in Corinth to one side. Scoria Christian Fellowship. Are we growing? Are we growing in spiritual maturity to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's our vision, is it not, as a church? plastered across the front page of our website to present everyone mature in Christ. We live and breathe and do all that we do to see people know Jesus and grow up to be more like Jesus. We've heard the words already in Colossians chapter 1. We proclaim Him. Who's the Him? Jesus. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ, and Paul says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I wonder, is that the end to which we labor? Are we grafting? Not in our own strength, but by the grace of God to help one another as we live alongside each other, as we share life with each other, as we speak the truth into each other's lives. Are we helping one another grow up to be more like the Lord Jesus? Or are we stunted spiritually? Are we still mere infants in Him? You see, the church in Corinth, well, we live in an age, don't we, very much like the church in Corinth, I think, which was preoccupied with style, outward appearance rather than substance. You see it all the time, don't you? Particularly in the music industry, I think today, when one of these new boy band appears on the scene and they have all the the, the wardrobe designers and the dance choreographers and they they turn up on the stage and they they look the part, don't they? But for the most part, they can't sing. (laughs) They can't sing. It's all an outward show, but there is absolutely zero substance. But you see, when it comes to church, it's not about style. It's not about outward glamour. It's not about appearance. It's not about outward giftings. It's all about substance. It's about what's in your heart. And whether you love the Lord Jesus Christ and whether you're growing daily in Him, it is about being centred on the Gospel. It is about being united in Jesus Christ. It is about loving one another and speaking the truth into each other's lives. It is about being totally dependent on God in prayer, and it is about having a heart for lost people. These are the true marks of Christian maturity. not the outward gifts that are necessarily being flaunted in Corinth, but the fruits of the spirit that transform our hearts and our relationships with one another. And so Paul says, doesn't he, in his own brilliant way, church in Corinth, it is time to stop being a spiritual baby. It's time to grow up. As we yearn together to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, one of the ways that they were being childish was dividing over Christian leaders. It's a discussion Paul began in chapter 1, and he picks it up here again in chapter 3. Have a look, verse 4 and 5. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? What after all is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. You see, Paul and Apollos were no doubt great Bible teachers, and through their ministry, by the grace of God, many people came to believe. But don't lose sight of those two crucial words. Bang in the middle of verse 5. What after all is Apollos? What after all is Paul? What after all is Stuart Burns? What after all is Colin Wells? Only servants. Only servants. Not celebrities to idolize or, or follow, but servants to pray for, that they would keep preaching and leading people. To Christ. And what comes next in the verses that follow are two brilliant pictures. You guys have got this on your listen up sheets. Two brilliant pictures that, that help us understand what mature Christian service looks like. What you should be looking for in your leaders, but what you should also be seeking to become yourself. And the first picture we're given is that of a faithful farmer. Have a look at verse 6. I planted the seed, says Paul. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Simple picture, isn't it? The field is a church. The seed is the gospel. Paul sowed the seed. He rocked up in Corinth and he preached the good news of Jesus Christ. After him came Apollos. And what did he do? He watered that seed. How? By preaching the same gospel. And by the grace of God, he grew that church. God brought people to faith and the church in Corinth was born. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it's only God who makes things grow. It's During uh, our first lockdown, not long after it arrived, it was one of the tasks that Mir or Caleb uh, had in their little folder to do, um, to make a cress head, they're called. If you've ever made a cress head before, you get an egg, Linda's made a few cress heads, look, she's smiling. Chop off the top of the egg, you obviously pour out and wash it out. You draw your little face on your egg, fill it with cotton wool, scatter the seeds on, water it, and hey, presto, within a couple of days, cress head has got a full head of hair. Caleb planted or sowed, mere watered, but can either of them make cress grow? It's only God who makes things grow. Only the Creator of life who can bring life and bring growth. And so it is with Gospel work. Someone prepares the ground. Another person sows the seed. Another person waters that seed. We all play our part along the way. Different links in the chain of people coming to know and love the Lord Jesus. But here's the thing. You cannot make it grow. I cannot make it grow. We cannot make it grow. Because only the God who made all things can bring life in the human hearts. Verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about them. It's about God. Because it's God who makes things grow. It's incredibly humbling, isn't it? As you look at verse 7, you see in Christian ministry, when good things happen, it's very easy to stick out your chest and to take the credit yourself. When things as a church maybe are going well, when youth groups are growing, when home groups are multiplying, when sing and play maybe is thriving, very easy to give ourselves a congratulatory pat on the back. Now don't get me wrong, it is the most wonderful privilege to play our part in gospel work. To be a part of what God is doing and growing and building. To be an instrument in his hands. To be used in the hands of a great redeeming God. There is no greater privilege, but we need to remember we are not the redeemer, he is. He is the one who germinates the seed of the Gospel. He is the one who brings life and transformation to the human heart. It's not me. It's not you. It is God. We are simply servants who have the greatest privilege of laboring in the Lord's field. Now can you see how childish it is to divide over Christian leaders? Because if those leaders are committed to Christ, as Paul and Apollos were... They are serving one and the same purpose, which is the growth of God's church and the glory of God's name. Yet that same truth, which I hope is wonderfully humbling in your hearts this morning, is also incredibly encouraging because God does make things grow. As you look around the world today, new life springing up everywhere, isn't it? In fact, the latest reports from Iran suggest that the church there has more than doubled in the last five years with an estimated over one million believers. Evangelical churches in Iran are growing at a rate of 20% per year. And that's that's not through church transfer people shopping around like we do here sometimes for best churches. That is people coming to know Christ and the church is growing at a remarkable rate. God is at work in the harvest field of this world. We just need to remember to be like the faithful farmer, to be patient in our sowing and our planting as we continue to trust in the Lord's timing. You see, at times it feels like it's not happening at quite the same rate, maybe over here. Maybe it's a little bit more discouraging what's happening in our little corner of the harvest field. God's bringing life across this planet. And He is bringing it here. We just need to be like that faithful farmer to keep sowing and to keep watering and to keep preaching about Jesus Christ as we trust in Him and His time to bring new life to people and to His church. Knowing that He'll use us. Right? Not just a few individuals in the church. God will use us. Every member of the body of Christ is important. Every member of the body of Christ is necessary. That's the point Paul goes on to make in chapter 12, isn't it? You know the image there of the body of Christ? Every part of the body necessary. And we have all got a part to play in seeing the body of Christ grow to maturity. Whatever that might be. Welcoming someone on the front door on a Sunday morning. Reading the Bible with someone week by week in your own lounge and and wonderfully leading them to Christ after three years of hard labour and prayer. Raising your children to know Christ day after day on your knees, praying for them, opening up the Word of God with them, investing in the new generations of leaders who are going to look after the church in years to come. Whatever your part may be, we are called to do it faithfully. Knowing that we will be rewarded, verse 8, according to our labor. Firstly, we are called to be faithful farmers, which is incredibly humbling uh, and incredibly encouraging. And secondly, we are called to be careful builders, verse 9. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Do you see the shift in metaphor? From God's field to God's building. We're no longer on the farm. We're now on the construction site. Okay? So you've got to make that that transition in your mind as we read verse 10 and 11. You're now on the construction site. And this is what we read. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, says Paul, as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, without doubt, these words have particular reference to the work of leaders who are teaching the Bible, but I don't see any reason to restrict the application to just leaders. Because in one sense, we are all, are we not, building on that one foundation that is Jesus Christ. And how are we called to build? Verse 10. Carefully. Each one of you should build with care. And if we don't build with care, then the result is something like that on the screen. An unstable, unfunctional building. Now, of course, when you're talking about a physical building, it doesn't matter quite so much, does it? I wouldn't fancy living in that one myself, but it's, it's just a physical building. It doesn't actually matter that much. But when we're talking about the church when we're talking about Christian believers who God is fitting together for his glory, it really does matter how we build. It really matters how we build on that foundation of Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are leaders all around this country who aren't building carefully, who are maybe playing loose with the gospel. And as Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is. If anyone builds on this foundation the Gospel using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The day there, capital D, in verse 13, is the day of the Lord. The day when we stand before our Maker. And there are three references around that word day which point to it being a great day of disclosure. Firstly, their work will be shown for what it is. Secondly, the day will bring it to light. No longer in the dark, it will be brought to light. And thirdly, it will be a day that tests the quality of each person's work. And that's what we see, isn't it? Verse 14 and 15. There's the testing. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You see, in one church there may seem to be thriving youth ministry. Hundreds of children coming in through the door and it's It's full of activity and games and fun. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But if the gospel isn't being preached, if they're not building on the foundation with gold, silver and precious stones, their work will not survive. As we read in verse 15, the builder himself will be saved, but he will experience loss. Or to put it another way, if they are genuine Christian believers, they won't lose their salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But they do lose something. They may lose their warm commendation before Christ on that final day. As one commentator said, if they belong to Jesus, they will be with Him in eternity. But there will be no fanfare or warm congratulations on their arrival. They must suffer an undignified entrance into heaven as one escaping through the flames like a man leaping from a burning building just before it collapses. But on the other hand, take scenario number two. You might have a really small youth group, handful of children and young people. But if the Gospel is faithfully preached, if there is substance, remember that word, not just style, style, and entertainment, and outward stuff, if there's substance to what's going on, if the leader is building with gospel gold, saving silver, the precious stones of truth, as a result, their work, as we see in verse 14, will survive the fires of testing. And just like the faithful farmer in verse 14, they too will hear those precious, Precious words from the lips of the Lord Jesus, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. You see, it's very easy to be drawn to more charismatic figures with more obvious gifts. But could I say to you this morning, and, and particularly I want to address the younger generations here, so please listen if you're in the, in, you consider yourself in the younger crowd this morning. Here's what I want to say to you it is much better, much better, to sit under the ministry of a faithful plodder with average gifts who is committed to teaching the Word of God than to go to a church led by a gifted, charismatic leader with a five-star support band but who relies on his own charisma and gifts rather than the Word of God to do its work in people's lives. It really matters. You see, it matters not just how we build, but it matters where we go. It matters that we put ourselves in churches with careful builders who love the Word of God and who never, ever tire from preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you ever hear me waning one bit from teaching the good news of Jesus, you need to give me a good shake. Because that's the moment that I will stop in building carefully with what God has given to us. Do whatever it takes, friends, to attach yourself not to careless builders, but to careful builders. Well, as we draw things to a close, it becomes clear in these last few verses why Paul shifted his metaphor from the field to the construction sites. Because he wants us to understand that the church, the people of God, is the New Testament temple. Verse 16 and 17. This is where we finish this morning. Don't you know that you, yourselves, are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. The you there in verse 16 is plural. Paul is referring to the church together together. Together we are the dwelling place for God's Spirit. You see, before Jesus Christ came into this world, the physical temple in Jerusalem was a place where God chose to manifest Himself and show Himself most fully. But that place is no longer a physical building. It's a people. God has chosen to show Himself most fully in His church. That's incredible, isn't it? That the God of heaven and earth, who in the beginning said, let there be, and the stars were flung into space, the great God and Saviour has chosen to show himself most fully, to showcase his glory in this humble gathering of believers that is Scoria Christian Fellowship and that is multiplied across this world in little gatherings happening here, there, and everywhere. As God's people mature to grow up to be like Jesus Christ, we are showcasing God's glory to this world and pointing lost people to the one true Saviour who can bring them in and make them fully whole in Him. That's why it matters how we farm, what we do with God's Word, that's why it matters how we build. And that's why it matters that we continue to grow up in maturity to be more like Jesus Christ. That we would leave those spiritual nappies behind, whatever they are for us. We're all wearing them still, in some shape or form. There's areas of immaturity in each of our hearts oh, to leave those things behind and become the men and women and boys and girls of God that he is shaping us into by his grace. Let me leave you with those words on the screen. There's a question on there as well. With the words on the screen, Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29. Read those words to yourself as you ponder. And maybe the question to ask yourselves is, is this. It's one very simple question. How is God calling me to grow up this morning? to be more like Jesus. He wants you to be mature and whole, but maybe by his Spirit he's pinpointing something different in each of our hearts that he wants us to leave behind as we grow to become more like him. So take a moment now, if you would, to do that.